on this week's episode, we give a letter to parents. Yes, we talk about how we were raised, the things we liked, and some advice to you. So stick around. Hello and welcome to Rare with Flair. The podcast where two best friends with the same rare disease are living our best lives. I'm your host, Cassandra. And I'm your host, Casey. Cass, here we are. You You know, I've been good. I've been good. We are. We are, I think, sucking the marrow out of what Casey would consider the third worst month of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. And do you know me well enough to know my first and second worst months of the year? Definitely February is number one. It is uh-huh. the worst. And January. No, sorry. No, you like January. March I do. is March. number two. Yes. March is number perfectly two. Perfectly correct. Perfectly Thank correct, you. my Thank friend. You. Uh, yeah. I win the friendship and prize. You do. But you know what? August <laughs> is almost over. Actually, by the time this pod comes out, we're believe. only going to have a few more days. So wow. just a couple. Yeah. Can't believe yeah, it. Yeah. I think. We have been both very intentional about, like, okay, yes, we are still in summer. We are very much still in summer because we both, we're fall girlies, right? Fall girlies. Fall girlies. We love the fall. We give ourselves fully over to the season when it comes, but it is not here yet. So we're being patient. We are being patient, but I think whenever the Starbucks PSL comes out is when fall officially begins for me. I think that's, like, late August, though, I'm pretty sure. I think it's coming next week. So, okay. yeah, okay. like maybe the last week of August. I still I still wait until September 1st. It feels more yeah, like fall course. or at least after Labor Day because Labor Day is sure. usually pretty warm. Sure. I know, uh, especially in Tennessee, it's going to be warm until October at least, even maybe in October. Mm. So, you know, I I'm fine with waiting, but I'm very excited for fall. It actually, like... Lifts my spirits even thinking about its arrival. I know, I know. Coming soon, so. <laughs> I get Very like giddy excited. thinking about all mm. of the cute, fun fall things. Like, oh, oh. Ugh, me too. And the clothing, even though we talked about that last in our last episode. Shameless plug yeah. to go listen to our last oh. episode all about fashion. I had a lot of fun recording that episode. I loved that. Likewise, likewise. Yeah. I think something that I was thinking about um, that I was telling you about probably yesterday about sustainability that I didn't mention on last week's pod was um not last week but whatever you know what I mean yes you know um was there's also like sometimes local groups where you can give things away um in my area there's a group called free cycle and man that is an amazing place there are so many people on that group that there's almost always multiple people who are excited about whatever that's junk to me, but still in good condition that someone would be happy to take off my hands and people come to your house and pick it up. It's like Facebook marketplace without actual money. And I think it's a great way to get rid of things and declutter. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We've been, we've been talking about decluttering lately just in our own text chain so you know right. anytime we come up with cool stuff like that we'll be sure to tell the audience if any of you are into you know sustainability decluttering we like that kind of stuff what else have you been up to though girl um to be honest girl i was i was wondering if i should even mention this on the pod <laughs> but <laughs> cass and i cass has introduced me to a few great media but um, <laughs> I have been addicted to this Sims watch along. <laughs> so if anyone is familiar with the Sims, um, it's a game. And there's this YouTuber who does challenges. And currently I'm watching something called the Occult Baby Challenge. Yes, you heard that. <laughs> you heard it right. Um, listen. It's right up my alley, you know? It's exactly I, what I would... I'm not even going to explain exactly what it is. If you want to look <laughs> it up, you can. <laughs> but Cassandra got me started on this, and I cannot stop binge-watching this. Um, it's not, like, like weird or spooky. It sounds spooky, but, it I mean, it's The Sims, so it's just a girl playing The Sims. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's I okay. So I I have very it's almost like a secret enjoyment that I have a guilty pleasure, if you will. I love watching specifically this YouTuber. I think her channel's called Kelsey Dangerous. Um, I really love watching this girl play The Sims, and it's like her editing is really funny. Her her commentary is great too and she usually does different challenges in the game which is you know the sims a simulated life game but it's just it's so cozy and the perfect background content and i i didn't know like who in my life would ever enjoy this kind of content (laughs) (laughs) i i like i would watch it in college too and and like i was just like so invested in the storyline of these <laughs> fake people in a video game. And yeah. I just, I was like telling Casey passively about it. I was like, yeah, I sometimes watch this Let's Play. I think it's called, that's what it's called, uh, of this girl who plays The Sims. She was like, wait, send that to me. And I'm so glad that Casey's yeah. watching it now. I now I have someone to talk it, about it with. You called it like a secret thing and now I'm announcing it to the whole pod. Like, it's not like embarrassing. It's not like embarrassing. But it, it's just like not everyone's thing. <laughs> yeah. It, it just It's a very random thing to, to have yes. in the background. Like instead of music, it's just this girl playing The Sims. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, like, if it were just a Let's Play of The Sims, I wouldn't enjoy it. I enjoyed the fact that she has a challenge to complete. Like, that's right. what I, But it's still really cozy, and I just yeah. have been having the... I, I am completely addicted to this. I cannot stop. It's so I am fun. so reeled in. So, anyway, thanks to Cass for that. Um, is You're there welcome. Any, any kind of life update you have? That was my life update. It's just The Sims <laughs> has the taken Sims. over my life, essentially. I love that. Thank you. I'm so glad. Um, have I done anything? Have I? I, I I've baked just so much this month. Yeah. Um, and I bake a lot normally, but it specifically August. I have just full throttle multiple times a week have baked yep. something, and. You know what? It's been great. I've loved every second of it. Not everything has come out fantastic, but a lot of things have turned out pretty solid. And I'm happy to say that it's been fun. And I've had a lot of local produce. I I have people that keep giving me tomatoes. So I just keep having tomatoes, which Uh, is not a bad place to be. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, and speaking of baking and hobbies, I'm still on my my Kindle game, of course. And I recently got, which is like this is so like the typical, uh, you know, I jumped on a bandwagon. But <laughs> everybody like on BookTube and stuff, they get a clear case for their Kindle, and then they put stickers behind it. And Cute. I did it, and it's really pretty. So I've decorated my Kindle baby angel. And every time I every time I look at her, I like shed a tear of how cute she is with her. I didn't have a case on it before, like at all. Like I just like didn't have a case. Um, and now Impressive. she has like a clear case with stickers, and she's so cute. So I'm, like, I saw her. She does look. She's beautiful. a beauty. I need to name my Kindle. Um, maybe her name is Kindle, but like spelled like K, like Kendall Jenner. Like, Kendall. Kendall. Yeah. Is my Kindle. <laughs> Kendall the Kindle. <laughs> Um, so now that we've gone way off topic. <laughs> so this episode, is there any segue that could ever get us back? I don't think so. Um, no, negative. Speaking of your child, your Kindle, we're going to talk about parenting. <laughs> I am not a parent, but I am a mother of Kindle the Kindle. As as well as we are both a mother of like 40 plus plants if you combine our collections. <laughs> and we are also the mother two of two dogs. dogs. Yeah. And a fish. Now I have a fish. You have a fish. Um, we are not mothers, though. Not for real. No. Those are not necessarily real mother mothers. Not really. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Well, so, and, and, you know, as a disclaimer, we're not trying to give parenting advice, I guess. 
we're not parents and we don't really understand what it would be like to be parents um, because we're not. So take what we say with a grain of salt. I think what our goal is, is we're going to be talking mostly from experiences that we've had in our childhood. And so it's more about the things that we've been grateful that our parents have done and feel like could be beneficial for other other parents to know. <laughs> yes. And another quick disclaimer before we get started is like, even if you're not a parent, if you are just a person listening with low vision like like us, or if you're just another casual listener, we don't want you to feel like this episode is not for you or that you're kicked out. Honestly, like Cass said, a lot of it's going to be like childhood stories and different things mm -hmm. that you can maybe relate to or still have fun listening to. This is not just for parents, but we are going to be kind of directing some of the things we're saying at parents. Yeah, and I totally echo what you said. Not necessarily to tell you what to do, but to tell you things that we appreciated and maybe that'll like inspire you of how to um raise your child and this is like obviously about raising kids with low vision and disability and chronic health issues um that is what we are talking about today and i'm i'm excited we've never done an episode like this in our three years so i don't know if yeah. you hear my dog barking in her sleep but i do <laughs> oh she's sleeping she's screaming <laughs> she's i love the dream noises rupert does the same uh, i'm gonna go poke her away. i love those little <laughs> Those little dream, dream cries that they do. I know, it sounds... Aww. I'm like really far from my mic. I'm far from You're my good. mic for a second, but I know it sounds like little bubbles when she does it. Like, it's it's, it's so cute. Uh-huh. Um, Aww. <laughs> so anyway, sweet. speaking of our children. Anyway, I had to take, take care of your child right? for a minute. Sorry about that. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so... Let's just jump in. So I think yeah. if I'll begin, I've told this story on the pod and I wanted to say it again early. Um, mm -hmm. But so my parents, some, I guess in, what the advice would be is like teach your kids, especially kids with disabilities, teach your kids social skills. Um, I needed extra help with social skills, not just because I have low vision, but because um, it was not something that came to me intuitively. I think Casey probably did a better job of observing her environment than I did as a child. I was just vibing, doing my life, living my dream, but I did not pay attention <laughs> to other people around me. And so some of the things I did were strange. And you know what? I'm really glad that my mom told me that and the story is so um i i didn't understand eye contact really and i didn't i i didn't fully get that when two people were having a conversation i would sometimes stand in the middle because i wanted to hear the conversation <laughs> but i was blocking their eye contact and so um it's funny apparently this this specific story has resonated or or at least people have remembered it a lot but my mom took two american girl dolls and put them in front of each other so that they were they were in eye line and so then she took it she was like this is what it looks like when two people are talking and then she brought a third doll in and is like, this is what happens. See, they can't see each other. And I was, and that <laughs> finally made sense to me. And I was like, oh, wow. wow. And so we had like flashcards for social skills. Like half of them were probably visual related and half of them were probably just, I was a, like a little, a little hyper child. And I didn't, I didn't understand when I walked into like a, a big open space I probably shouldn't just start running yeah no I I mean I definitely I think that's awesome that your mom did that and I know I think you mentioned that story in like the fourth episode we ever did or probably, fifth episode yeah. we ever did about school and I've had multiple people still bring that up and mention that story about how they they loved that <laughs> the and it, it stuck with them. They remembered. <laughs> I've had multiple people mention the doll story and how it stuck with them when you told that story. Um, and I think as a low vision person, um, 
like I can relate to like I do think I was pretty aware of my surroundings I think it depends on the child right but I think like you know I mean this is like I don't know if this is TMI but like when you're low vision maybe like you need to know like don't pick your nose or don't like open your legs if you have a dress on and like or things like that you wouldn't realize that other people can see because you can't see other people so you don't realize that they can see you and I think all little kids have that problem to an extent of like not realizing that other people are watching them but especially low vision kids Mm -hmm. so I think I agree completely with that that like teaching social skills and and calling them calling your kids out and telling them hey people can see you right now so you need to like not be doing those things because low vision kids can't see others doing that and realizing that it's strange for them to to know to i don't know be doing what they're doing um the talking about like spreading your legs with a dress like that that was like a constant struggle for me and also like bending Mm -hmm. bending at the waist and not the knees i didn't I didn't understand that concept yes, and my mom yes. had to explain that to me many, many times over. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I, it, those are things you have to be taught, especially yeah. as a low vision kid. Cause you just aren't, you aren't realizing what people can see. And I remember times where people would call me out, like, like my parents, um, mm-hmm. I th- feel like specifically my dad would be like, Hey, you know, stop doing that thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, but I was always glad when people would call it out because it, I, I was never like offended or upset. I was like, Oh, I didn't real, I did not realize that. Right. So and it, it's, I think, I think it's analogous to when like you've got spinach in your teeth, like you never yes. want to, you want you never want to be the person to point it out, um, but also like the person who you know is receiving that is probably really grateful, although a little bit embarrassed. Like it's helpful. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And then and then after you get told once, you'll probably never do it again because right. if, even if you are well. a little bit embarrassed, <laughs> it'll at least keep you from. Well, <laughs> well, but if you're embarrassed enough, right, if you're embarrassed right. enough, it might. True, it true. might help. But no, uh, clearly it takes a little more coaxing sometimes, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, I think that's great advice. Um, so, yeah, the other thing, um, one of the things I think about when I think about childhood and my parents raising me as a low vision kid, I often think about steps. And mm. what I mean by that is, you know, my mom, and still to this day, to be honest, you know, my mom, when I was a kid, she would say, step, there's a step, watch out for the step. And my dad would always kind of be the opposite of be like, hey, we've got to let her fall. She's <laughs> got to figure it out that, like, we're not always going to be there. And I think there is a happy medium. I don't think you need to let your kid, if you know they're not going to see a step, I don't know if you need to let them fall, but teach them the skills because you won't always be there to tell them there's a step. And right. it's really funny because even nowadays, my mom will sometimes say there's a step. And sometimes I'm grateful. But also, I'm like, Mom, how do you think I've lived without you <laughs> right. all these years? Like, I go places without my mom constantly. And the people I'm with don't tell me step. Or if I'm alone, no one is there to tell me step is there. Um, and... Sometimes she'll say it when it like really is like a hidden or like, you know, a lot of times I'll have my cane. But anyway, all that being said, I think teach, help your kids get proper O&M, proper skills, help, help them when needed, but not too much to where when you are not with them, they will not fall when you're not around to tell them, you know, things like that. Right. And I I mean, again, not a parent, but like, I think there's probably some kind of a, of a middle ground between like, you want, you know, you want to help your kid, but you also don't want them to be entirely dependent on you for every little thing. Um, You know, even when they are young and they pretty much are dependent on you for every little thing, but as they, you want them to learn skills and it's like the, it's like the teach a man to fish and, you know, or give him a fish thing where like if you just tell them every time they're going to come to expect it and like they've got to start like understanding, maybe teach them about like changes in texture. That's a big giveaway for when there might be a step coming up if there's if the ground looks different than be like hey why don't we yeah. like stop and feel the ground I don't know like um yeah I think trying to and of course I think the best thing that you can do is probably O&M and and 
help get them to like a trained professional who understands like blind and low vision kids and and would probably be able to better assess what they might have issues with and and explain it to them but um yeah but yeah i i totally agree and god Oh, well, I think you'll be surprised, too, with, like, what they pick up on their own. Mm -hmm. Like, even, like, with you saying the change in texture, like, that was a coping skill I picked up on my own. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I need to watch for the change in texture. Like, so, you know, you'd be surprised how well they can cope without you even having to teach them every little thing. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you have something else to say? No, no. um, I'm, I'm thinking about, well, I'm thinking about, like, how you were talking about both of your parents and... I think my dad was a little bit, like, less involved, like, in the, in the same kind of way that uh, your dad was a little bit, where it's like, well, they'll figure it out, and to an extent, yeah. you know, I think, I think there's always a middle ground between, like, feeling like you're coddling your kid for having a disability, but also then, like, pretending it's not there and letting them stumble way too much. Yeah. I think yeah. either extreme is, is not great to get, but, you know, together they, they can harmonize. <laughs> right, right. And I don't think my parents, like, to clarify. No, no, no. I don't think they they were at those extremes. Like, my dad, like, did care. And of he was course. Involved, and my mom wasn't super overprotective. But I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. Is, like, it has to be a medium. Yeah. And sometimes parents can balance each other out, like you said, you know, like. If one parent is more that way than the other, sometimes both of them together as a team is like the perfect Definitely. amount. Yeah, thanks for reinterpreting that. I didn't want it to seem like like your oh, parents no. were I completely not... polar opposite. Oh, no, no, no. I knew that's not what you meant, but I wanted to clarify for the listeners thank that, you, you know, okay, they, you. Weren't, they weren't over the top about it. Yeah. Definitely. So I think thinking about things that, our parents or that we feel our parents did really well is that my parents were really prepared and, and they might hear that and be like, no, we were not. Um, (laughs) uh, But from my perspective, my parents had done a lot of research and they even, even growing up in like the early two thousands, like they, they connected with a lot of people that could help them understand. Um, So being diagnosed with HPS as a baby, which is not super common for most people with HPS, it's later on. Um, they knew that I had al- like albinism and needed to have a lot of sun protection, you know, sunglasses, sunscreen, the works. But also they did know that I had a bleeding disorder. And so that was something that they were very proactive about. And it's advice that we still, we meaning like even me and my parents, when we go to conferences for like the HPS conference, for example, we still give that kind of advice to parents in the modern day, right? Where they they had like a box that had a lot of maybe emergency things that could really benefit me. So they had... And it was in, like, it was in, the teacher had it, I think it was, like, either in a closet or, or by her desk or something, that um, they had, like, sunscreen, they had emergency sunglasses in case I probably lost them. Um, <laughs> they also had yeah. things that could help with bleeding, and especially since, like, as a kid, I was losing teeth. Um, and so they had, like, black tea bags, which is something that's really helpful to stop bleeding, especially orally. And they had cotton balls and they had band-aids and gauzes. And of course the school nurse probably has a lot of that stuff. But if you know that your kid has a, a you know, a kind of disability, a chronic illness, a, a, a different need, right? Having, I don't know, being proactive, there was like a, a a piece of paper taped to the lid too with instructions on like if this then do that right so Mm -hmm. not assuming the teacher will know everything and know what to do but they tried their best to I don't know be proactive when I wasn't going to be with them during the day 
Yeah, I um, did not know I had HPS until I was older. So my parents actually did not have any, did not know to have any bleeding precautions in place as far as medicines at school or anything like that because we just didn't know. But I do remember, of course, always having like sunglasses, sunscreen, all of that. And I remember um, at fire drills at school, it would always be Casey gets her sun. We got to grab Casey's sunglasses, you know, yeah, and, uh, things like that. And so I think. I think my parents were definitely prepared and did their own research, too, about the things I would need. But it was a different experience for me than it was for you since we didn't really know about my chronic health issues with HPS until I was like 18. And by that point, I was going to college. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's interesting to think how my childhood might have been different and how we would have handled bleeding incidents differently um, right. Luckily, I never had like a bad bleed on the playground or anything as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm sure we would have had something in the nurse's office had that been something we knew about. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think the next thing would be to reach out to organizations. Uh, we talk about this a lot for mm. ourselves and for other people with, uh, any kind of health condition or our condition, low vision, anything like that. But for parents, especially, um, I think it's important now, especially with the internet at our fingertips, um, mm-hmm. it's really easy to connect. I think back in the early 90s when I was born, um, my mom was like checking out books at the library. We didn't have, yeah. I mean, the internet was like barely a thing. And my mom and dad did connect with some local low vision parent groups and they had those people. And my mom talked on the phone with some adults with albinism when I was a kid and got connected. Like, my mom did get connected. I keep saying my mom. My mom and dad. But, you know, I think my mom was doing a lot of the research. But I uh, love you, dad. He was, <laughs> Same. But, so <laughs> my mom and dad did get connected with NOAA, um, which is the National Organization for Albinism and Hypopigmentation, um, when I was a kid. But we never went to any conferences or yeah. anything um, until I was a teen, uh, until I was like 18. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I... I still think they got a lot out of that. And I always talk about Mm -hmm. this woman mentor I met when I was a kid who had albinism who really impacted my life in a positive way, too. And we met her. So I think nowadays, like I said, with the Internet, it's even easier. So there's really no reason not to. There's really no reason not to get involved. And I say try to if you can't go to conferences, I totally get it. It's a big financial investment to fly or, you know, if you have to fly there and all that kind of stuff. But even just get involved online. There's plenty of free yeah. things to do online, Zoom calls and stuff. So, yeah. What yeah. about you with that? I I think I totally agree and had a similar experience where my parents did connect as much as they probably could at the time. But I think it maybe would have helped if we went to something like a conference. I don't know if we, like, were able to financially or um, my dad traveled a lot for work, too. So I think that would have also made it more challenging. But my mom, from what I know, obviously I was a child. So from what I know, my mom reached out to the HPS network a lot. Um, She would call Donna Pell and she would ask her questions and and Donna would that's how she learned about kind of the stuff to put in this bleeding box that she had in the teacher's room is because of someone like Donna who had a daughter who was what like you know 10 15 years older than me and had already experienced a lot of things and could give helpful advice um my mom I think also was subscribed to like the newsletter for Noah which yeah. I think was called the Noah News at the time and is yeah, now Noah Albinism News. Insight. Yeah, so she she read those and she got books. I think books. my mom did too. Yeah. yeah, she got books. She like got, you know, VHS tapes and, and tried to learn what she could. Um, I think she even had a you know book about just generally like trying to raise a kid with, with disabilities. Like, I think, I think that they... They weren't disconnected, but I think physically meeting other parents, because I didn't go to a NOAA conference until I was 12, um, I think that probably could have been really beneficial, but they they were doing the most, you know? 
<laughs> right. And, you know, we have to remember, too, the NOAA conference is only every two years. And back then, mm-hmm. it was a lot smaller. NOAA didn't even start until the 80s. And so it's it was fairly new-ish when I was born. It was only 10 right. years old when I was born. And, and so, like, I think back then, maybe the conference wasn't as big or as promoted. And maybe our parents right. either didn't really even know. Also, our parents have other kids, too. They were trying to raise yeah. them, too. It wasn't all about us and traveling for us all the time. Like, you know, we were in school. We were busy. We were, and they had right. other kids to raise. So I don't blame yeah, them at we all were, for not. We were like, both the younger sibling, too. Which, right, right. You know, so they had an older kid to take care of anyway. So, it, yeah, like, they they were... They were involved, but I guess that to say, if you can't be there in person, like Casey said, try to connect online, try to find good resources, because a lot of orgs, a lot of big orgs too, have a lot of resources available. Specifically, NOAA has a lot of um, like school-aged help uh, for both educators and parents. They have a couple of books out now. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that those resources are great starting points and then meeting yeah, people and online and asking. They also have parent liaisons. So if you're a new parent, they will hook you up with a parent of an older kid. And when I say older, like, you know, five years old, not like an adult mm-hmm. child, but like an older kid to get, to help you learn the ropes of what's going on right now currently and like how to. So there's tons of there's tons of resources for parents um, through NOAA and HPS if you have if your child has HPS, then the HPS network is the place to be for that because that'll help you learn all the medical ins and outs, which is so important too. And um, knowledge is power when it comes to the medical side of things with HPS, especially. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't think either of us like resent our parents for not going to conferences, but I do think it would have been beneficial. Like I, I don't like look, I don't look back and be like, Oh, like I'm so upset about that. But I do think I do wonder sometimes how it would have been to had to have met people my own age at that at that age. I right. think it would have been really cool, but it's still just I, as beneficial now. So I also think the cool thing about conferences and this this happened to my brother who went to a NOAA conference one time when I was a teen who finally saw other kids like me. Yeah. And, and it was cool for parents to see kids that are not their own especially you know some some families have like multiple kids with the same disability but it's almost helpful to be like oh wow yeah so my kid is is like these other kids too and that's cool to see Mm -hmm. yes it's important for the siblings too and so if you have another sibling like bring them along love to have them definitely um i think from that one thing that I think both of our parents did was they definitely encouraged us to use our tools. Um, my mom was always, where's your monocular? Where's your monocular? Um, but they also knew us well enough that if there were times that we didn't want to use tools either because we didn't think it would be useful or we just didn't want to stand out in that way at that moment. They never really forced it upon us. I remember like Mm -hmm. when I was growing up and I was in elementary school, I had uh, a big hunky like CCTV, which I don't know if anyone has seen them, but it, I think they're like newer, fancier ones with, LCD screens, but um, even the ones at like my university look just like the ones I had in elementary, where they have a yes, big, me too. Ch- chunky monitor, and you can magnify the things on, uh, like on a piece of paper or with a camera, and you can make them really big and have different contrast. And so, I, I think the teachers growing up, they really wanted me to use that tool, and my parents were like, I don't think she's gonna use it that much, and I did sometimes but honestly it was it was kind of hard and even as you get older and you start to change classrooms when you're in elementary like it gets even harder to use like big tools like that yes. now yes. I don't know I don't know what kids are using these days in terms of tools in terms of, yeah uh, in terms of tools but like 
you know, they they were like, oh yeah, okay, but they knew that I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna go out of my way to to do that. They just they knew who I was, and I think despite their thinking, well, I bet I bet it could help her. They kind of let me be yep. <laughs> while still encouraging yep. me. That's exactly how my parents did it too. Um, they would encourage it. And my, yeah, I mean, I can hear my mom now being like, do you have your this? Do you have your monocular? But at the same time, like they, if I was um, rejecting a tool, no, they, they didn't really force it. They really didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, they trusted me when I said what I needed. And you're, I mean, we've talked about this before. Your kids might go through a phase where they kind of reject their tools because they're embarrassed or just because sometimes the tools are so bulky and hard they make things even harder than more easy so and and like if your kid rejects it give them time they might come back to it eventually Mm -hmm. um in a few years or uh, you know but i would kind of trust it um unless you know i guess if their grades are like really falling behind or something and you think it's because of that but, I mean, I, for the most part, we made it through school just fine. Our parents trusted what we needed, and I think it all worked out okay. So I think so. I think so. And at the same time, you know, just not trying to force your kids down a, a, any certain path when it comes to tools. Um, I, you know, I, I'm a guide dog user now. But I didn't decide to become a guide dog user until I was an adult. And I think maybe some parents might think that that's going to be a really beneficial thing for their child in the future. Um, And so they they might be like informing their kid like, hey, this is something that you could have someday. But I, you know, I would be wary just because I think that's a decision, especially a guide dog. Most guide dog schools don't accept kids you have to be at least 18 in some cases maybe when you're 16 but some of the key important things when you get a guide dog are that you are able to travel independently and that you have good mobility skills and i think those things have to be in place before probably entertaining the idea Mm -hmm. um because you don't want to prime your kid to to i don't know feel like they have to do something even if that's not something that they feel like they would want or need I completely agree having a guide dog is a very big responsibility and it's a very big personal choice and there are a lot of factors that go into that choice I have chosen not to be a guide dog user and you can hear more about my reasons why in our dog episode that we've done did a while ago but I think yeah forcing your kid to use anything or or even just like really encouraging I think especially something like a a guide dog is an adult decision made by that adult and that adult alone. So you can let them know that that's an option for them, but also let them know that it's not, it's not everybody's option. And it's not just because dogs are fun and cute doesn't mean it's something that should be pushed on a kid. Like, I feel like a lot of people like the idea of a guide dog without, and obviously that is not you at all. Like you, (laughs) um, you know, obviously, you know, I'm not talking about you. But I'm talking about parents specifically, honestly, and we yeah. love no shade, no shade to parents. But a lot of parents, I think, like the idea of their kid having a guide dog. And right. we've seen that. We've seen that a lot of like people with a four year old asking about that. And it's like, just wait a minute, because they can't even start thinking about it for another at least 15 years, probably. So, right. you know, give it give it a minute. Um, it's a good option to have, but that's an ad- that's the choice. That's the choice of the adult with the disability. So yeah, and you know, if your kid is is really really interested, if they see someone with a guide dog at say a conference or something, like um, maybe they could talk to the person with the guide dog and ask them questions and learn more about it, so that maybe they're better prepared for if they want to make that decision or at least to understand more about it. Um, yeah, if they decide to do that in their lives. Yeah, and your parents were great with that because you getting a guide dog was one hundred percent your choice. You made, <laughs> my, you know. my parents were. <laughs> my when I told my parents I wanted to get a guide dog when I was a freshman in college, they were like, "You do? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big choice." Uh, yeah. So I don't. I don't know if they 
I think it was a combination of like they didn't know that that was an option I could have, and they also didn't yeah. reala- realize that that would be something that I personally would go for anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's a big choice. It's a big life change, and people need to know it's not just fun and games of like getting a fun Definitely dog. Not. Oh my gosh, dogs are cute. It's like, yeah. So, and I love dogs. Don't get me wrong. Okay, they're like my oh, favorite so. thing in the world. Um, so yeah, I agree. Um, I think also our parents did a good job about how they talked about disability. I think it mm-hmm. was never, it was never a taboo topic. Um, mm-hmm. It was always very open that we had albinism. It was just a thing that was talked about um, very casually in my house, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard the term, I thought we thought we had, I had, bleh, wow, we thought I had ocular albinism as a kid. So I heard the phrase or the term ocular albinism a lot, just thrown mm-hmm. around very casually. And it was never a big deal. They never set me down and told me, hey, like you have this thing. It was a known thing. It was yep. an open thing. I never remember learning. I had it. I always knew I did. And I think that is great. And I'm really grateful that it was never a taboo thing. It was never um, a shameful thing. It was always just just a thing, and that's all it was, and that was just yeah. part of who I was. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, my parents were exactly the same way. Um, it was always, it was always an okay thing to talk about. Um, I told this story on our siblings episode some time ago, but um, my older brother, who's about three and a half years older than me. Um, it was so commonplace that we would talk about it in our home that um, when my brother would talk about me to other people, he would say, uh, <laughs> because I, you know, we, we use the, fla- the phrase legally blind a lot or visually impaired. And my brother knew that I could see uh, enough, but not a lot. And so he would tell, he would tell people like, no, no, she's, She's not blind. She's only a quarter blind. <laughs> and so I, you know, it was, it was common that my brother knew about it. And I, re- I found, I was been going through like old things in my parents' house. And I found this old journal that I would like pass around to my friends where we would like write things and introduce ourselves. And um, I was in like fifth grade, so I was like 10. And I, in my introduction, I was like, I'm Cassandra, and I love to sing, and I, like, whatever. And then, like, further down the page, it was like, I have albinism, so I can't <laughs> see very well. I don't like oh. it when people ask me how many fingers I'm holding up. <laughs> uh, and uh, she sent me that, and when I read it, I was like, is this me? Like, did I write this? Like... <laughs> It was funny because I was the same way as a kid. If I was doing like an intro, it's not the only thing or the first thing, but it would just be like part of the, it would just be a thing. Part of who we are. I also can't see very well. All right. You know, Um, (laughs) and I think that really instilled like self-worth and confidence in us that our parents didn't ever seem ashamed of it or like they wanted to hide it. And I think that's so, so great. Um, And I'm really grateful for it. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't have that experience. I know it's hard and you never really know what you're going to get. And I, and I don't, you know, I don't pretend to understand what it feels like to think that you might have just a a normal able-bodied child and realize that your child has a disability and it it must be very difficult. Um, but you know, I don't let that shame carry through raising your kid to try to, to be, the best version of themselves and and to accept that as part of who they are and you can accept that as part of who they are too yeah i really don't think you should encourage them to hide it or try to hide it for them or Mm -hmm. anything like that like it's just not like i i feel like i've i've heard parents brag before of like yeah we just ignore it he's totally normal (laughs) we treat him totally normal and i'm like yeah my parents did treat like my parents did treat me totally normal they treated me just like my sister but it's not we don't just ignore it or push it aside either like it is there so and when you push it aside it makes it seem like it is something to be ashamed about and that's a whole other problem i think right definitely definitely Mm -hmm. um i think with us talking about the ways that we would like 
bring it up in our in our daily lives as intros like this is about me um both our parents and also like the school system and the programs that we're involved in like orientation and mobility um or like working with a with a teacher for the visually impaired at tbi um advocacy is such an important skill for any kid to learn frankly but kids with disabilities have to learn it that much more because we need to understand and express our needs and we've talked about this before uh, on different episodes of how we've had to advocate for our needs especially throughout school um, but our parents helped us through that process too and outside mm-hmm. of school you still need to advocate for yourself you know you do sports or something and your parent can also help explain it but if you as a kid are starting to like gain the language skills to be able to explain your disability which is hard i feel like it was honestly even through this pod that i've learned to describe my own disability better as an adult yes yep Mm -hmm. but like as if they know like well i can't see really well or if they can tell people start beginning to tell adults what they need it's gonna be huge for their lives yeah and i think even though the pod has helped us tremendously i think you and i were even advocating back in high school Oh, definitely um and i think we were pretty good at it even back then um i think we were good at it because we had an understanding of our condition and i Mm -hmm. think that's the first step help your kid to understand their condition even if they're really young tell them the name of it tell them how it affects them in ways that they can understand for their age Um, And I was like an extremely shy kid when it came to talking to adults. I was terrified to bother an adult or I even, I was telling Kaz, I I was like, I wouldn't even ask my teachers if I could go to the bathroom at school. I would just hold it like all day long because I was so afraid to talk to adults. Like I was just like so shy. Um, that got better for sure. This was when I think of these memories, it's kindergarten and preschool. So I'm not talking about when I was like 10. I'm talking about like pretty young. I, I got better about that. But, um, but elementary so the polar school, opposite. I know we were so we were such opposite children. It's funny to wonder if we would have been friends. But then again, I, I feel like sometimes opposite kids are friends. Like I, I, I always attract. had quiet friends. <laughs> yeah, I always had I always had like daring loud friends, actually. So oh, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> and in, in some ways I was a really loud kid, so go figure. I don't really know how to explain that. But anyway, I I was afraid to advocate for myself at those young ages. And as I got older, it got easier, but having parents that not only teach you like not only teach you how to advocate for yourself but also having parents that encourage you to be the one to do the talking every once in a while Mm -hmm. um is good instead of your parents doing all the talking for you like they need to try to make you advocate for yourself i think my i think for me i will say my mom did do a lot of the talking for me throughout my school years And it got to the point where in college, I was forced to do it Mm. myself. And at that point, I actually did a great job doing it all. I did it all on my own in college. And I did a good Mm -hmm. job doing that because I had to, you know, like, you know, like procrastinators are good because like it's the last minute and they have to. That's how I am with that kind of stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I literally (laughs) am good at that when I have to be like when I, when I moved to New York and I had to do that stuff on my own, like because mm-hmm. my parents weren't physically around. Like, I I hated it, but I had, I was forced. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't not do things like that. And so yeah. I feel like that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. when I'm at my best is when I'm literally forced to do it. <laughs> I will do it, but I hate doing it if I'm not forced to do it. So um, every kid is going to be at their own pace. Some sure. will do it sooner than others, but yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah, and I think, I think that transition is hard for anyone, regardless. I think even for me, I didn't always, when I was in my first semester of college and I was very much for advocating, but um, I went to a private school in high school and so I was just kind of used to not getting my needs met because the school didn't usually have the funding to to take care of them and so I just made do. Um, And so I, I got used to that and 
my first semester of college, I was like, I've got to be the one to talk to all of my professors. And there were times that I didn't, and I paid for it. And I, mm. like, I took one of my first few calculus quizzes I took. I, I took it in the TA's office. I didn't get it enlarged. I thought I would be fine, and I got a D. And mm. it's unfair for me to... to take a low grade because I didn't advocate for myself but I'm the one to blame in that situation mm. because I didn't speak up for my needs and so I, I my mom would always say and I think she might have even co-opted this from someone else but it, it it was maybe it was my Owen Evans instructor but my mom would continue to tell me like you need to speak up because you shouldn't be getting graded on how well you can see the test you need to yes. be graded on how well you know the material. Right. Right. And and accommodations, like we've said before, like they even the playing fields. They allow yep. you to compete with your classmates that don't have a vision impairment or some other kind of disability. And so making sure that you you do that so that you don't suffer later is gonna is going to be like paramount to your success as an individual. I completely agree with that. Yes. Um, let's talk about driving. I wanted to talk about this a bit. I have heard multiple people say that they didn't know that they couldn't drive until they turned 16 or whatever age it is where you live to be able to drive. And then they realized, oh, I can't drive. Um, now some people with, like, yeah, I know it's sad. It's um, wild. Some people with low vision actually can drive. And I think it's important when your child is young to kind of like just emotionally and mentally prepare them for either way. Say mm-hmm. like, Hey, you're low vision. You very well might not be able to drive. You might, but we won't know that until you get your vision tested when you are the appropriate age and we know exactly what we're dealing with. My parents, it was never a secret. It was never a secret that I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to drive. And I was so glad to learn that at around five years old, I learned that because I had a mentor who was older than me who couldn't drive. And when I learned that as a five-year-old, I wasn't upset at all because I didn't even get the concept of it. So by the time right. I was 16, <laughs> yeah, like if you learn it at 16, of course, it's going to be devastating. But if you learn it at like five, then you're like, eh, like then by the time you're 16, you've known this mm-hmm. for most of your life. Um, what do you feel about that? How how yeah. will you? Well, and I I feel similarly. Where I I I think my parents also framed it as you may not be able to drive, but I had we we have our our driving episode. If you want to hear more about what bioptic driving is, uh, but you know I had the option to bioptic drive in my state and be able to basically drive with accommodations and I was aware of that fact early on and my optometrist you know my my obviously my mom was with me we'd go to the optometrist and my optometrist would even tell me as like a young teen that hey this is an option for you just letting you know what this would be like Mm -hmm. and I already knew as a younger teen that I didn't care for it and that I didn't really want to drive but I was the one who still got to make that decision despite, you know, being a kid. Um, yeah. And I, I even remember, I think I've told this story before probably also, but there was an Albinism Insight article when I was younger. I think, I, I don't even remember how old I was, but I wasn't like 16, where it was like a kind of a comedic, humorous article where the author was talking about, you know, hey, I don't, I probably won't drive, but like, I want to be able to, you know, be a millionaire so I can hire someone to drive for me. And that really stood out in my, in my brain. And I loved that. I loved that concept. And I would then tell people like, well, I'm going to make a lot of money so I can hire (laughs) someone to drive for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there are, it's hard not to drive, but there are a lot of ways around it, and I think giving your kid false hope potentially could be damaging, honestly. Um, I think giving them, giving them a little hope, possibly, you don't want to tell them a for sure no, but also you need to prepare them, like, this might not be something in the cards, and I don't think, 
for me personally, false hope would, would have not been good for me. Maybe every mm-hmm. kid is different, but for me, I was glad to have the truth, you know? And I think between my parents and O&M, I was presented with options. In my area, there's some public transit. It's not fantastic, but it, it, it's there. And so I at least knew, like, hey, there's, there's an option for you to not drive. You know, I knew that when I was a teen, I could live in a place somewhere like New York City, where Casey ended up living, that you do have easy access to transportation. And I don't now because of the advent of rideshare. And there's, you know, a very affordable rideshare in my, in my city for people who qualify for paratransit services. So, like, I, I have that option. And I even remember when Uber and Lyft were becoming popular, my mom was so excited And Mm -hmm. she told, I was like, I think it was around before, but I was like 18. My mom was like, you need to sign up for one of these accounts. Like, this is going to be really helpful for you. And and believe me, it has. With all of its issues, rideshare is huge. And it's something that I rely on Mm -hmm. almost exclusively. (laughs) Yeah. Rideshare is huge. Grocery delivery and all that. All, mm-hmm. Delivery in general, the access we have now to that is huge. And we've talked about that in our rideshare episode um, and just in, in past episodes about living alone and how we manage. But it is doable. It is doable. And, you know, we take it day by day. Definitely. And I think a big help with that was knowing that we had options and that there's not just one right way to do things. The only way to get groceries is not just driving to the store and loading your car. There are a lot of different ways to get groceries. Yep, absolutely. And I think maybe for the last thing that we've got is, despite your kid having or not having a disability, learn to recognize your your kids strengths and encourage them in those directions my my parents were very aware of that and you know not only did they want us to have good stable careers in the future they never forced us down any path but they encouraged us down specific ones that they thought we would be good at growing up they knew They could tell I was good at math. I was always good at math. And they were like, well, she could probably do something like engineering. Even when I was a younger kid, before I got into some of those like more hard skills, um, I was, I was a really social kid. My mom, as an adult, she's told me a number of times that she noticed how she was like, well, she probably can't do a lot of things that would involve the very visual, but She's good at talking and she talks a lot. Maybe she could be a radio persona, like, (laughs) Um, or or just realizing what your kids might be good at and trying to find a way that they could maybe make money like that um, or, or have some kind of a sustaining future regardless of their disability they did that for my brother too like he was good at like science and they encouraged him into you know kind of engineering biology stuff and yeah you never know where you're gonna end up but like learn like learn those signs early on yeah my parents I don't know you know my sister you know I mainly did like singing and acting growing up and my uh, sister never did any of that and my parents ne- never did any of that so they they didn't really encourage me to do it it was kind of something I stumbled upon but I think like once I stumbled upon it um, they encouraged it after that mm-hmm. fact if that makes sense like I had a voice teacher and I mean yeah what's a, no not voice sorry wow um, my music teacher in elementary school reached out to my mom to tell her to put me in voice lessons when I was like it young you know six or seven or whatever and that was huge and then acting class was huge and acting class really helped me with like social skills and like getting out of my shell I think I would be a lot more shy of a person if I hadn't done that um, because we were talking about how shy I was and so like I think I kind of stumbled upon those things organically because I really liked it and so like when I saw that as an option I just really enjoyed it but once I did 
once I did, you know, start doing it, my parents were very encouraging for me to continue because I feel like the arts are pretty easy for low vision people. Um, I've always said mm -hmm. that. I don't music and theater are not very visual. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, yes, they are in some ways and that's a whole other topic, but but not really. Like I could easily do it all for the most part. So with minimal yeah. accommodations. Definitely. Yeah. And I think there were also things that our parents maybe put us in before we expressed interest for doing other things um, that were beneficial for other reasons. Like I, I took ice skating lessons because it was actually extremely helpful for my balance skills. Uh, mm. We talked about that in our, in our wobbly balance episode, <laughs> which I still love that title. But um, they kind of intentionally did some things. And they, there were very few times where they ever said, no, you can't do that. If I said I wanted to do soccer camp, they were like, great, do soccer camp. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully you don't break your nose, but sure, do soccer camp. But like, they still <laughs> were able to see those things in you and encourage you. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I think that's great. I'd never played a sport my entire life. I never played really? a sport. I, I did I cheer. Did... Oh, I did cheer too. Yeah, it can be a sport. I, I sure. did some gymnastics, but I think the only... I think the only like sport sport I played was soccer. I did that and cross country. Been. You were like athletic well, that, girly. Well, that was that was not my parents doing though. That was that was like purely peer. Um, a girl asked me to do it, and I didn't even know what cross country was. But I'm such a social girl that I was like, yeah. And yeah, my parents were, were like, like, why are you running? You hate exercise. <laughs> <laughs> you were extremely well-rounded in school, though, because I feel like you were doing, you were doing like choir, academics, and sports. Like you were kind of like you were doing it all. You were doing it all. It was you a were. lot. It was. You were doing it all. I was I tried, not. but <laughs> <laughs> part of me, part of me wishes I like just went full force into one thing, but. I, I appreciated the different no, kinds cool. of experiences yeah. and people I met. Yeah, and even with cross country, my parents were never like, "Wow, well, well." They were they were definitely concerned. They were like, "Is she gonna get lost in the woods?" Like, yeah, that's a little how scary. She, how is she gonna find uh, anyone? And and with that concern came like accommodations. Like I ran with a sighted guide for a while until I memorized the courses and found other strategies. But like, yeah. I don't know. Let your kids do stuff and see if there's a, also a safe way for them to do it too. <laughs> yeah, yes. I feel like there aren't that many extracurriculars that like we cannot do. If your kid is like really passionate right. about a specific thing, like I feel like there can be accommodations for anything. And I don't want to be mm -hmm. that cheesy inspiration of like, there's nothing we can't do. Like there are some uh, things we, we can't do because we can't see. Definitely but things like, we can't do. <laughs> but pretty much, I think, I, I mean, I always say like, oh, I can't play baseball because I can't see. But a lot of people do. So I, that's not a good yeah. excuse because a lot of people do. So I'm like, I see it's people with albinism. baseball too. Exactly. And I see people with albinism doing everything. I know a guy with albinism who did like a cross-country bike ride. Like Goodness. Like, people do it. If that's your hobby and that's your thing, I think you can do it. Like, I don't yeah. know. I think My parents taught me to ride a bike. I learned to ride a bike. I, You know, I can't tell you how many times I ran into my neighbor's mailbox. It was too many. But, like, you know, they didn't let me go beyond the cul-de-sac because they knew I couldn't see probably cars coming. But yeah. they still they still taught me to ride a bike, and I'm grateful for that. Um, no comment. <laughs> I love you. Uh, did you ever ride a bike with training wheels, though? Yes. Okay, yes. see? You did that. Uh, yeah. So, I cannot ride a bike. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But I'm glad you have that skill. Thank you. Thank you. I would like could to you do it. Could parents. you do it right now if you got on a bike, like, right this minute? Um, I don't know. I have no idea. I, okay, I'm just curious. I, 
I'm trying to Probably. Remember. They say you remember. They say, like, it's just like riding a bike. Like, they say oh, you remember. Yeah, that. I don't think that's true. I think you can totally <laughs> know how to ride a bike. I've done, I, I haven't ridden a, a single person bike in a long time, at least, at least seven or eight years. But I've done some tandem bikes in between, and that's fine. I can I can do that because I that think I could. I've never ridden steering. a tandem bike, but I think I could maybe do it. I think you probably could. I think all all it really takes is, is like pedal power. Um, yeah, you don't need to balance. steer anywhere. It's the balance problem for me. But I think if the other person was helping, I could do it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, that's that's their job. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I've even ridden an adult trike. Which I was about to ask you about the adult yeah. tricycles. Oh, yeah. I don't Those own are fun. one, but I've rented them at the beach and stuff when my family rides bikes and I ride the adult trike. Those are fun. <laughs> They're really fun. And I don't have to worry about my balance problems. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I never... My parents, I guess... They dissuaded me from any kind of healthcare-related field. That isn't to say that people with low vision can't do that. I know lots of people with albinism that are in healthcare that are doctors or nurses. Um, I think it would just be a lot more difficult. And my parents were, you know, knowing my strengths, they were like, oh, hey, you might like that, but you might also like this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you turned out great, so... Look at that. Oh, thanks. I, I will tell my parents that, and likewise, ah. they, yes. I would say that you turned out pretty swell. Hey, parents, you did a good job. Yay. And well you other done. parents listening, I know you're doing your very best, too, so try to not be so hard on yourself, because I know you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Just trying to be a parent, honestly, I feel like you're doing a great job. Yeah. Yeah, and even listening to this pod shows that you care enough to learn more, so good on you. Yay, parents. Yay, parents. I think that's all we really had, though. Yes. So, since this episode is already over an hour long, we should say. Yes. Thank you. We should sign off. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye!